Welcome to the Sustainalytics podcast. We have a special episode for you here today on sustainable supply chain. Sustainalytics has recently launched a supply chain offering and looks to bring its industry-leading ESG research ratings and data to companies who want full visibility into the ESG risk in their entire supply chain. Today, we have Nicole Verkint, Director with Sustainalytics Corporate Solutions Team and founder of OMX. She sits down with Nick, Sustainalytics Regional Head of APAC, and shares with us how she got into the world of procurement and offers interesting insights on how procurement has changed over the last decade. Welcome, Nick and Nicole. Great, thanks, and good morning to all our uh, our listeners. So, Nicole, can you explain a little bit on your background and how you've um, ended up, I guess, working and being involved with Sustainalytics? Sure. Hi, Nick. It's, it's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today on the podcast. In terms of my background, I, I grew up and came from the manufacturing sector, and I was working alongside companies primarily that were selling to government. So this very specific niche. And when we founded OMX, we were entirely focused on that. So we were really working around this very specific legal framework that required manufacturing companies to report on all the local impacts that they were having from their sourcing activities. So I can give you an example. Companies who, for instance, win a large government infrastructure project, they're typically required to find local suppliers, engage local community, and then report back on how much they're sourcing from those local suppliers. Uh, In the automotive sector, there's typically diversity requirements with suppliers that are required. And so they, again, have to track exactly how much work they're doing with those suppliers and what the potential impacts are. And mining is another sector where this is quite prevalent. In order to get uh, permits approved, they are required to do impact benefit agreements. So we were very heavily focused on these specific niche industries that, for the most part, contractually obligated this local spend. And then as we grew and as we started to see and feel changes in the supply chain sector, we started to get a lot more requests from procurement leaders to widen out that lens of what we were looking at. So instead of just looking at diversity or location or whether or not this company was small or not, we started to get some requests that led us to need more data to help to frame the potential ESG impacts from supply chain. So it was really exciting because the the little I knew about ESG is I sort of saw it as an investor-only Um, that it occurred only in the investor silo of a large corporation, investor relations silo. But we started to see it come up in the procurement sphere. And we started to see procurement leaders wanting to know and try to estimate what the ESG impacts could be from their supply chain. And so we reached out to uh, Sustainalytics, which had an office in Toronto, very close to ours. And we knew that Sustainalytics was a world leader in ESG ratings and ESG research and data. And so we started working with Sustainalytics to try to incorporate that wider ESG lens into procurement decisions. So I believe that uh, procurement leaders will be starting to make decisions much more based on very specific ESG data, as well as those other factors. And about a year ago, OMX entered into a formal partnership with Sustainalytics And I'm really excited that we're bringing the ESG assessment platform to market in these coming weeks here. I I think there's going to be a huge demand, but it's really interesting, I believe, to kind of look back at the genesis and the background of that evolution and how how ESG has really become a a key part of supply chain. Great. Okay. Thanks, Nicole. That's a pretty fascinating um, background and 
lots of interesting dynamics um, in terms of the context of, of corporates, and everyone has a uh, everyone has procurement spend if you're a, if you're yeah. a company, so really relevant in this day and age as well. So I guess to to sort of lead on from that a little bit further, um, would you mind just sort of outlining, I guess, two things, sort of just covering briefly exactly what we're launching with our platform, um, the launch uh, coming up, and then also. If you wouldn't mind just sort of getting to the heart of, in, in your words, you know, what's it really all about, the sustainable supply chain? You've talked about, you know, data-driven assessments and impact, and there's, I guess, a few different factors. But it'd be great to hear, um, in, in your words, you know, a little bit more about what we're launching and then really how that addresses and, and what is um, at the heart of this sustainable supply chain concept, which is getting talked about more and more and getting thought about by corporates more and more globally, I guess. Yeah, sure. And, and when I first started looking at um, sort of the sustainable finance area, I was always seeing it as a corporate social responsibility. I saw it in that lens. And I always, when I went on corporations' websites and they always have a little section on, you know, they used to refer to it as corporate social responsibility. It would be this, usually this long well-written with beautiful images, you know, reports, but very, very text heavy uh, and, and lots of descriptions. And, and so that's how I used to see that, that approach. A lot of corporations take that approach. But what I'm seeing now and what we're seeing finally flow into supply chains is, is really showing numbers and being able to track numbers against previous years and demonstrate numbers as a percentage. And what I mean by that is being able to really drill into, so step number one, and this is what the platform does, you're able to upload all of your suppliers and be able to map out and understand who your suppliers are. If you want to do that next layer of work, you could drill in and discover who your suppliers' suppliers are. And so we've had clients that we've worked with in the past where we could drill into multiple tiers all the way down to the third tier. It can be quite difficult to get that low, but to really understand who those suppliers are. And the reason that you do that is it is more often that there are risks in your supply chain that are living lower down in supply chain. So lots of these anecdotal horror stories of you know a factory being associated with with forced labor, for instance, they're often lower in the tiers and supply chain. So, so step one would be understanding who your suppliers are, putting a real number and a map against who they are. And then what we're going to be able to do with the power of Sustainalytics and the huge Sustainalytics team and, and history and of them being world leaders in ESG ratings and analysis, we're going to be able to put some predictive ratings against those suppliers, some estimates against what we think that those ESG markers would be for those suppliers. So it, it would support a corporation to really put some numbers into their supply chain. And that to me is the baseline. Uh, the platform's already, it's already measuring socioeconomic impacts as well as so that wider lens of impacts. But once you get data in that form, in a form that you can, um, that you can sort and you can cut and you can paste and you can really, really leverage it to do forecasting, to do analysis. And here's where the power comes in is where you can actually start to make very large strategic decisions in the future based on that data and based on some of those markers. And so what I mean by that is you could say, okay, first I, I want to put data in the system. I want to understand the baseline. I want to know where my risks are. I want to be able to estimate how good or bad or strong we are, where there's areas for improvement. And then in the future, maybe we want to run a competition for all of this, this subset group of suppliers where it could be higher risk. 
And we'd like to weight our evaluation, a portion of it, based on some ESG rating that can be provided. So it, it really, I believe it's really laying the foundation for uh, enabling and empowering teams to be able to make future strategic decisions based on that data. And so it's kind of a long way of saying that what I think sustainable supply chain is all about and what it's going to be about will be about looking at where most industrial companies spend over 70% of their total spend within their supply chains. And so it's not enough for stakeholders, investors, employees, consumers, government to turn to a company and say, we really want you to demonstrate how great your ESG performance is and to only have them analyze their own company. It's not enough. If 70% of the spend that you're influencing is lower down in your supply chains, then you have to include that analysis. And it has to be more than just highlighting some names. It really needs to be based on data. And so that's what I'm excited about. And I think, you know, once, once you have data in a certain format, there's so much that you can do with it, with everything that's out there today, leveraging AI and uh, just predictive models, you can really start to affect change. Okay, no, excellent. Sounds like loads and loads of different things that the platform can uh, assist corporates with. So that's uh, that's great to hear. Um, and then you mentioned a few things there, Nicole, in terms of you know risk and visibility, maybe opportunities, and certainly impact as well. And you also mentioned about you know the platform and, and data being used to support more strategic decisions as supply chain spend, procurement spend gets highlighted highlighted more and becomes more strategic for corporates. So, you know, where do you think that's sort of pushing the industry towards? And and maybe a way to ask that is, you know, the future direction of uh, of supply chain is all of those things you mentioned going to intensify deeper reporting, deeper risk analysis, but also hopefully on on quantifying opportunities and, and impacts and that being used from a, a positive non-risk sense as well. Is that where you would say that this is all going to sort of lead to or intensify towards? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's going to be so much that's going to happen in this space in the next two, three, five, ten years, because I believe that there hasn't been a ton of activity in it until the past couple of years. And what I mean by that is just I remember the work that we we did around the world where we were just sometimes contacting suppliers by phone and asking them to fill out information and trying to estimate impacts. We didn't have a capability to do ESG ratings. Of course, now with Sustainalytics, that's your bread and butter. But, you know, we'd be calling suppliers and asking these basic questions and they wouldn't have that data handy. They wouldn't be used to providing that information because they were living lower in, in a supply chain tier. And so, the baseline will be normalizing suppliers, even if they're multiple tiers down, normalizing them to this notion of increased visibility higher up to their customers. And so to me, that's the first step. And I think the more and more corporations take leadership positions in asking suppliers for this information, that's the first step. Uh, and it will start to normalize it. You know, suppliers will start to have that data handy and it will be available there. And, and the smart suppliers, the strategic suppliers will start to say, oh, wow, we need to lead with this. We need to, we need to market this. We need to demonstrate how great we are from an ESG perspective and use that as a way to beat our competitors, uh, especially in selling to large corporations and corporations that are publicly traded and, and really forward thinking about how they want to motivate their employees and their customers. And, and so I think the first thing will be that suppliers will 
this will become normal to them. And then they'll, and then the smart ones will see this as an opportunity for them to market themselves with their ESG data. So they will say, okay, we want to win new business. We need to make these investments to ensure that we have a positive impact. And then we can use that data to market ourselves to hopefully win new business in our area. So that's the first element. The other thing that's happening at the same time from a social perspective is I've mentioned it a couple times already is that I believe in the past, we talked a lot about what investors wanted. We talked a lot about the pressure from the public markets, the pressure from large asset managers, from investors to demonstrate positive ESGs in their portfolios. What I'm seeing because of my background in dealing with companies selling to government is I'm seeing that there's increased, I'm not going to call it pressure because I think it's more of a positive motivation, but I'm seeing that there's increased motivations, uh, almost like a pull coming from three other main stakeholders, one being government. And so, for instance, I was involved on some working committees with a couple of international governments where they've started to layer into their procurement processes to say, okay, if 50% of the way we evaluate this bid will be based on price and 30 will be on how um, you meet the technical requirements, uh, maybe the last 20% or 30% will be based on your ESG impact or your local spend impact. So there'll be a percentage. I think the numbers we were looking at were more like 10, but there's always a, a weighting criteria of how they weight different elements of a bid. So I think government will start to try to positively motivate bidders to have a bigger impact and to include data from their supply chains. That's one uh, additional stakeholder. The second big stakeholder that we're seeing, especially from the millennial consumers coming up with more and more disposable income, is we're having customers and consumers voting with their dollars, making buying decisions based on companies that they feel have demonstrated they have a positive impact. And so, you know, I know, for instance, I was involved at some conferences with the heads of procurement from Lululemon, and they were very serious about ESGs and supply chain. They had caught on to that because they'd seen negative press in other textile competitors of theirs where they had bad stories and and they know that their customers will buy from them or not buy from them based on the impact they feel that they're having in their supply chains. So I think that there's this new pressure and I'm calling it pressure, but I think that it's it's positive as well that you're seeing people say, I want to buy from the one that's going out of their way to tell me about these impacts they're having in their supply chains. And then the last stakeholder are employees. And as we know, especially in the the knowledge economy, call it, attracting top talent is your number one job as an employer, arguably. So attracting the best talent to be to work in your company. And we're seeing people say if they can choose, they're saying they want to work at companies that they feel have a positive impact. And if you can demonstrate that you are choosing suppliers based on these criteria, then I think that you're going to motivate top talent to come to your company. And so I think that's really exciting. To me, that's really exciting that it's not just that more traditional pressure from investors to put a number in their Excel models, but it's this pull that's coming from other forces that can have a huge impact on your company from talent acquisition perspective, a sales perspective, and a government regulatory perspective, which is also a sales perspective, so your ability to sell 
to government to get permits to conduct projects, etc. So I think that's really exciting. And then, of course, as we know, with technology, it, it really accelerates year after year. And the work that we're doing and we're about to do with this launch by digitizing supplier data and ESG data in supply chains, once you have that data in that form, the world's your oyster really afterwards because you can really apply algorithms and, and AI to this data to be able to assist companies in making predictions. So there's there's lots of exciting stuff that I think is going to happen. And I'm sure you feel it, Nick, uh, in your role, but I, it's just a tidal wave of momentum that's happening now that to me is is a really, really big opportunity that uh, uh, to make some real change. Yeah, absolutely. And no, I'd agree with those dynamics. And, and for the listeners who are not as familiar with me, I look after our sustainable corporate solutions business for Asia. Uh, and we talk to a lot of companies about supply chain. We see some of the green bonds and sustainability bonds um, actually funding specific areas or what we call use of proceeds connected to capacity building for suppliers and, and sourcing and, and using monies raised to source more sustainable type of product. So yeah, absolutely, Nicole. It's something that we see through the the funding side of of the business and what we're signing off on and providing opinions on. And also um, Asia as well, I guess, sometimes as you mentioned that point about, let's call it pressure or, or pull, if you like, sometimes the other markets might have more enabling environments or more stricter regulations or maybe a little bit more progressive. But what the really interesting thing is from an Asia perspective is there's a huge amount of supply chain from a supplier point of view. There's some big buyers in region too, but there's a considerable or probably disproportionate amount of actual supplier. So I like what you were talking about in terms of the suppliers, you know, being able to use some of these areas, credentials, um, and how they meet, you know, progressively more and more of these standards to get more opportunities and, and build their business with a sustainability plank as well, not just on price or some of those other things that we were mentioning before. So certainly I think it's, you know, these issues are, are global and certainly uh, we're having more and more conversations around APAC, whether that's Indonesia, whether that's Philippines, whether that's Australia and, you know, and, and China as well. So some really interesting wow. dynamics around that for sure. Um, so maybe just as a follow-up to what you've said about future direction to Nicole, w- would you say that it can or will be a source of competitive advantage for some of the buyers. So you've talked a lot about the supply side and being able to present more credentials and and grow and be more presentable to buyers. But from a buyer side as well, is that too long a bow to draw at this point in time in terms of using sustainable supply chain as a component of competitive advantage? And as a sort of secondary question to that, what's your view on sort of why buyers are wanting to show leadership in that area. It certainly seems that buyers are becoming more progressive and wanting to show their credentials as well. But I'd just be interested in your thoughts around, you know, specifically the buyers and can they really use this as a source of competitive advantage, differentiation and, and leadership now and more and more into the future? Yeah, it's really interesting you framed the question that way because there's a really interesting dynamic going on with the procurement leader community. And I attended many conferences with chief procurement officers and the procurement community um, over the past 10 years. And I've seen a big shift in the dynamic. And what that dynamic is, is in the past, I would, and again, it's not all encompassing, but in the past, procurement leaders were typically motivated 
to really focus on sourcing from a company that met the specifications, so the technical requirement, and otherwise the lowest cost. And there are some industries where this was more extreme than others. You know, the automotive industry, for instance, was notorious for inventing the Dutch auctions and really driving prices down and focusing on price. The textile industry is is quite known for really emphasizing lowest cost in supply chains to the extreme where you saw one country in, in South America raise their minimum wage slightly and an entire textile factory would move to a neighboring country where it was slightly lower and the conditions were worse, et cetera. So just a history of huge focus on low price. And that I'm not saying that that is gone. That is still absolutely there. Not that it's the procurement manager's fault, but consumers are demanding very low prices to buy from them. So there's always going to be that tension. But the dynamic change that I've seen is that now that you're getting these Uh, motivations or pressures from these various stakeholders on the ESG front, I'm starting to see more and more procurement leaders become a lot more strategic in their organizations. So they're becoming more like stakeholder relations leaders. They're becoming more involved in decisions that would drive business development, drive growth. And what I mean by that is I remember working with a large mining company and um, the head of procurement was actually responsible for ensuring that the local stakeholders felt that they were a big part of the launch of this mine, that they had access, that they were developed, that they had talent. And so the procurement manager's job wasn't just to find the cheapest supplier, it was to engage with the local community. I can think of an aerospace company we worked with where the head of procurement used to be in charge of just finding the lowest cost supplier And they were working on a new project and they turned to me and they said, actually, I'm also responsible for partnering with the local startup communities to drive our innovation agenda. And so now you're seeing the head of procurement that is also responsible for the future innovation within their organization and using supply chain to help drive that. And so what I mean by all this is that I believe that the role of a buyer uh, or procurement leader, procurement manager is becoming more and more strategic in the organization and that this older dynamic where they were kind of meant to be the mean person in the organization to just drive the price down as low as possible. I believe that is shifting and that organizations are now saying, this is a very, this is 70% of our spend, you know, on average, of course, there's lots of industries where it's a lot less, but we have a lot of leverage here to drive innovation in our own, own organization, to engage with the local communities, to attract more talent, to demonstrate that we have great ESG performance and impacts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the answer to your question is yes, of course. Buyers that are that are leveraging this data and these tools and being able to make a difference on the ESG front in their supply chains, they are gaining competitive advantages against other companies in their industries, and even internally in the sense that they have a real seat at the strategic table. They, they always did, but I believe now they're starting to see supply chain and use supply chain as that strategic partner to accomplish so much more than just lowest price. Yeah, uh, excellent. And good to, uh, good to hear of the increasing strategic focus and importance of that whole uh, procurement and supply chain spend. So I guess we've covered a lot of different points today already, Nicole, about how to use the assessment platform to get that you know, visibility, to 
you know, get lots of infographics and illustrations and, and I guess, yeah, drive um, visibility across, um, across supply chains and get into those lower tiers. We've talked about ESG risk ratings and some of the predictive models that are there to sort of analyze um, that risk and, and look at supply chain in more detail. And you've also mentioned, which I wanted to delve into a little bit more about the socioeconomic sort of impact reporting. And in the context of what you've just mentioned, it sounds like corporates are wanting to explore that further, wanting to show what their specific uh, impacts are. And that's taking a greater strategic feature in terms of hopefully sustainability reporting, moving towards being more impact-based. And given the percentage of spend that companies have, um, I would presume then that the impact flowing from that, which you've sort of touched upon a couple of times, is increasingly important. But do you just want to cover a few points specifically about the socioeconomic impact reporting side and, and what our reports in that area can actually show and why that's becoming increasingly important for corporates to demonstrate? Sure. So socioeconomic impact reports have been around for a while, and they've traditionally been done by sort of the big four global accounting firms. And, there, and there's lots of specialist consulting firms that focus on uh, socioeconomic impact. But if you open one up, they're traditionally quite text heavy, they're quite image heavy. So they'll show images of uh, huge facilities that the company has, uh, their footprint around the world, uh, which which certainly does demonstrate their impact. And then they use this methodology, and, and we use this methodology as well, but they use a methodology called uh, input-output methodology. It's developed by economists, and it essentially takes a company's spend and based on what their what that spend is in, so the activity type of what that spend is in, so a dollar spent in uh, manufacturing steel is different than a dollar spent in developing software. And so based on what that activity is in, it'll translate to total impacts to GDP, total impacts to direct and indirect jobs created, you know, impacts to the tax base, and other key drivers for that local economy typically. And so a lot of these socioeconomic reports that you read, they will tell a fulsome story about the company's footprint in the community and then their overall impacts to GDP and jobs and taxes. And, and all of that stuff is very important. And we've always provided that picture as well, except for without the text, it's mostly just data and graphics. But where this assessment platform is really strong is in the ability to, in addition to that, upload all of the suppliers that are involved in the country that you're assessing the impact of and um, really drill into what those suppliers are doing, who those suppliers' suppliers are, and then start to tell the story around, for instance, how many small businesses might be impacted by the fact that this maybe larger organization is, is there or has this contract or whatever you're assessing the impact of. But it's just telling that story of what is living below in the supply chains. And it, it's an amazing story, Nick. And we've uh, I've done so many of these studies over the years where, you know, you're not really supposed to, but then you drill in and you find one supplier and it'll be one small supplier and they will do something so interesting and have developed this really unique IP because of this larger project that was approved. And within that project, um, there was a requirement to have some local sourcing. And so and then you see the history of that small business and what they're able to create after that because of that initial injection of support. And so it's not even just about the money that these suppliers get. 
Of course, they need that to continue to invest, but it's the joint IP that can be developed with your customers. So suppliers benefit in so many different ways by working with these larger companies. They often have to get certified. They have to bring all sorts of sort of internal requirements up to a level to deal with that larger company. And then, then they have those and they arguably have that skill and capability forever. And so it can really set suppliers up for the long run. And, and so in summary, the socioeconomic reporting that is much more in depth that you can do on the assessment platform is really telling that wider story with data. It's not text heavy, but telling that wider story of the impacts through the supply chain. And I find that really inspiring. And I think that uh, there's a lot of impact that can happen there. I mean, you hear companies talk about wanting to do good and wanting to have certain impacts. And I think that it's so easy for them to forget how much money they're spending when they procure. And so just by even redirecting or focusing or incentivizing something in their supply chain, they can really, really have a big impact. Great. Excellent. Now, that's really good to hear. And hopefully we see this layer built into more and more sustainability reporting, ESG reporting uh, going forward for us as consumers and investors and a whole variety of more and more stakeholders to consume. Great. So um, I think we've nearly come to the end of our discussion, um, Nicole. I guess we could probably make this a uh, (laughs) 10-hour podcast with so many different avenues to explore further. But just maybe a final question to sort of wrap up on. Is there any key messages that you might want to just um, summarize for any corporates or procurement folks sort of listening to this, that it sparked a range of, of things to start thinking about, about possibly how to think about this from a really basic area, sort of where to start. And, you know, is it something that only really big companies as buyers can work with? Do you need to have a full stack of technology solutions already built into your organization? Is it only for the the top MNCs that can do some of this? Or is there anything you, you, you just want to maybe just summarize for any folks listening to this where it sparked some ideas about maybe just a couple of things on on where to start, um, how to start, um, and maybe look to move through some of these areas over, you know, over time? Sure. Well, I'll have to tell you, Nick, I, I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. I, I agree. We could, talk, we could go on for 10 hours on this topic because it can get quite detailed. It can get quite in-depth and get complex and it get very interesting as well. In terms of where to start, I, I think that um, the risk of this conversation can be to overwhelm somebody working in sustainable finance and supply chain. And I believe that the first step is really about finding that baseline. And so often when we work with companies and to answer your question about smaller, big, uh, absolutely working with small companies, that every, every company is a supplier to somebody. And so even if you're a small company, you can use the combined ESG data and ratings from your supply chain to then market yourself to your customer. And so I would encourage any company with even a handful of suppliers to go through this process to then be able to use that data to market to the stakeholders that we talked about. So absolutely relevant to all sizes of companies. But in terms of uh, where to start, I think it's about finding that baseline. It can be as easy as, no, you do not need a super complicated internal software or, or data person in your company to do this. You can do a, a large Excel download from whatever you're using for your your basic ERP or however you manage your supply chain. So you can download into Excel, you can send an Excel, uh, you can upload the Excel into the assessment platform. 
And that can provide just your, your baseline, who your suppliers are, where they're located, what some of their high-level criteria are. And then you can start to rate them and provide the predictive ratings for those suppliers to start to help you understand that baseline. From there, you could do a socioeconomic study. And then from there, you could start to look at how you may want to incentivize suppliers towards improved ratings or improved uh, standings in that regard. So all to say that to get started, if it were me, it would be all about just trying to baseline where your organization is at and understand that foundation. And then from there, you can start to get a little bit fancier and start to use data in some of the ways we talked about. Excellent. Fantastic. So thanks for your time today again, Nicole. And we hope all our listeners found that a fascinating conversation. I think um, I think Nicole will have to have you back in some future podcasts for some updates or some additional features. As I say, there's been a number of really interesting points we've covered today. So for our listeners, hope everyone's found that useful. And please come to Sustainalytics to talk to us about these different dynamics and our different solutions connected to these areas. So thanks again. Appreciate your time, Nicole, and look forward to speaking again. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's been great. Many thanks both. We have reached the end of this special episode. If you have any questions, feel free to send them our way at podcast at morningstar.com or check out our website, sustainalytics.com. In our resource center, we have great reports and brochures on future-proofing supply chains and the social economic impact report mentioned. Special thanks to Melissa Chase, who produced this episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Till next time.